Today on Commitment to Truth. The pain and suffering that you've had in your life is useful to God if you will allow Him to use you to minister to others. But if we sit quietly in our little corner and act all holy, what good are we? If we don't use our testimony to reach others for Christ, you'll never know how you can use the brokenness that you come from. You went through a struggle because God wants to use you. And there ain't a person in this room that hasn't been through a struggle. And God wants to use you. But you gotta let him. And you're gonna have to figure out how to do that. Because every one of you, just like Jephthah, has been called by God for a purpose. You need to figure out what it is. Because there's somebody out there that needs you because they need to hear about Jesus. And you may be the only one uniquely qualified to do Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, we'll be starting a sermon series called Heroes. We'll learn from the biblical heroes of the past found in Hebrews 11 and by faith to encourage you to become today's heroes of the faith. Here's Pastor Ken Jones teaching pastor at Commitment Church with today's message. All right, we're, we're doing a study on the heroes of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. And we have gone through hero after hero after hero, trying to see if we can help you understand how we can be a hero of faith. Because as we look at these men and women of scripture that we've been going through, there's one common thread throughout this whole thing is that they were normal everyday people. They really weren't anything special, except God chose them, and they answered. Faith, definition, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And I've been kind of trying to reiterate with you the concept of this faith. This is a faith with feet. In other words, there's things that we do in our life. We live our life as if we have this faith so that the faith is seen in us in all that we do and say. If you believe in something, you will act like you believe in something. And that's what these people did that we look at in Hebrews chapter 11. Their deeds that they did showed their faith. And that faith produced obedience or the obedience produced the faith. Either way, obedience is involved in faith. So we show our faith in who we believe by our obedience to him. Habakkuk, chapter 2. All right, who can find it? Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. says, For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. You see, the thing that the, the, these guys and girls from Hebrews chapter 11 believed in, they did not see in their lifetime. And the same hope that we have, the same faith that we have, we may not see in our lifetime. Because our hope is in heaven. These guys believed 
that there was going to be a time when they were going to be with God for eternity and lived for that. That was their guiding principle, and it needs to be ours as well. So today we're going to look at a guy named Jephthah. Took me a while to figure out how to say that. Uh, Jephthah in Judges chapter 11. So what I want to do is we're going to do Pastor Ken's story hour. And instead of me reading to you chapters 11 and 12, the workbook of Judges, I'm just going to tell you the story of what happened with Mr. Jephthah. Mr. Jephthah had a rough start in life. His mother was a prostitute. His dad was a guy named Gilead. Now, Gilead went on in life to marry and have children. But Jephthah was raised with Gilead and until the time that his children became adults. They said to Jephthah, you will not have any part of our father's inheritance because you are not of our mother. And they threw him out of the house. And the people in the town there of Gilead basically shunned him and he ended up leaving Gilead and going out into the wilderness in a place called Tob. There he met up with a bunch of people that are described in the Bible as worthless fellows. And with these worthless fellows started a band of marauders that went around just kind of ripping people off. And that was basically the man's life. Now, meanwhile, in this area of Gilead, the Israelites were being attacked by a group called the Ammonites. And the Ammonites claimed that the land where the Israelites were living was theirs, and they wanted it back. Well, they didn't know what to do, so they said, oh my, oh my, who's going to lead us? Wait, I know this guy named Jephthah, who's a valiant warrior who's out there running around in the wilderness. Let's call him over and have him come and help us out. So they called Jephthah over, and of course, the first words out of his mouth were, wait a minute, you guys threw me out, and now you want me? And they said, yes, because you're a valiant warrior. And he said, well, I will come and I will fight for you and I will lead your army. But also, I want to lead the country. And they said, okay. And he said, will you swear by God? And they said, yes. We swear by God that if you win this battle, you will become the leader of our country. So he says, okay, I'm going to go do it. So what's the first thing he does? He tries to negotiate peace. Now, this is very odd in the book of Judges. Because normally you see these people come in, take over the army, and through one method or another, they go wipe out the other army. This guy tries to negotiate peace. So he says to the Ammonites, why are you after our land? And they try to say they lay claim to the land that you're living in. And then he goes about and tells them the history of the Jewish people and of this area, this land, from the time the Israelites left Egypt until this particular period of time. Now, what this shows, I'm going to stop here for a minute. What this shows is that Mr. Jephthah was raised in a home that was religious. So he was in the synagogue. He knows the first five books of the Bible. And he knows the history of the Jewish people. And he knows God. So he gives them this, this history. This land is ours because you guys haven't wanted it for 300 years. Now, all of a sudden, you want it? Why? Because we look weak. So they refused to, to, to negotiate with him, so he decides he's going to go to battle. And then there's the fatal flaw that Mr. Jephthah has. He makes a vow. 
and his vow to God was, when I re if I return from battle as a victor, the first thing that comes out of my house I will offer as a sacrifice to God. And off he goes. Great victory. Wipes out the Ammonites. Everything's great. Life is good. He gets home, and the first thing out of his house is his daughter. Oops. So the scripture says he did his vow. And then he goes on to live life. And uh, he was a judge for seven years. And then he died and somebody else came in. The life of Jephthah. Now, I am sure that what is happening in your head right now is, wait a second, he offered his daughter as a sacrifice? This doesn't sound like the God I serve, that I have to make a vow to him to kill my kid. Well, you can look at Abraham. God asked Abraham to offer his son Isaac, right? Well, that was a little bit of a different situation. God didn't tell Jephthah to make a vow. Jephthah's faith got a little weak. God already was going, he already knew God was going to give him the victory. He didn't have to do this, but he did. Now, Scripture does not tell us clearly that he killed his daughter. So I want to get this out of the way so we can get to what we need to get to. So let's take a look at this real quick to see, did he or did he not really offer his daughter as a burnt sacrifice? And there's two schools of thought from different commentators that I've gone into. So first, we will look at the yes side. On the yes side, there's just the simple reading of the scripture and the literal translation. Burnt offering usually means a literal fiery sacrifice. Most early commentators before the Middle Ages believed that he did offer his daughter as a burnt offering. And this is an example of something that we see a lot of in Scripture during this time, something we call Canaanicity. I love these words. What that actually means is they were living in a land called Canaan. That whole area where the Israelites were living at the time was called Canaan. Now, when, if you read through the book of Joshua, when Joshua led the Israelites into the land of Canaan to take the land back that God had promised to Abraham from the beginning, God told them that when they came in and fought against a particular group, they were to eradicate them. You kill man, woman, children, animals, dogs, cats, everything. Totally eradicate them. And which they did for the first couple of battles. But eventually they, they didn't. Now why would God want them to do that? Because God knew that they would be influenced by the pagan religions of the people that they were coming in to live around. Which is exactly what happened. When you look at the book of Judges, what do you see? Things are great. Things are wonderful. Let's go serve pagan gods. Oh, no, things are bad. They're terrible. Let's go back to God and go, God, please forgive us. We won't serve these gods anymore. God gives them a deliverer. Things are great again for 40, 50 years. They go, oh, let's go serve pagan gods. I mean, this cycle kept on going because they didn't obey God and left these people there to begin with. So this offering of a child in a burnt sacrifice was a pagan religion for a god named Molech, where they went 
then sacrifice their children to the god Molech so they'd have great crops or they'd have peace in the land or something like that. So this could be a spillover from the pagan religions in the land of Canaan at this time. Now, on the flip side of that, we say no. He didn't offer his daughter to death. And let's look at why. First of all, it violates the law. If you look at Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus, it is very clear that you're not to take somebody's life, and especially not to sacrifice a life to a fiery death. Um, <clears throat> the other part of that is that the tabernacle has in this, because when you're going to make a vow of a sacrifice, the sacrifice is made at the tabernacle. It's the only place where burnt sacrifices that were offered for vows were done, and the priests would never have allowed them to sacrifice his daughter, because it was against the law. So the priest wouldn't do it. There would be a public outcry. Uh, there was a time when uh, Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, uh, he got, went against what Saul wanted him to do, and he got together with David, and they won a great victory, and Saul wanted to kill his son. And all the people went, no, no, you can't do that. And he just won a great victory, don't do that. And there was a great outcry for Saul not to do that because they knew it was against the law. And there would have been the same kind of public outcry here if Jephthah had really sacrificed his daughter that way. Um, the scripture obviously does not give us any explicit knowledge of him taking his daughter's life. However, it says at least three times that she knew no man. Now, why would scripture be so explicit about her virginity? Because at the time in the temple, they had consecrated virgins who worked in the temple. These were women who were given by their parents to the priests who work in the temple for their lives. We, today we call them nuns. But it was that concept, that idea, that these ladies were virgins for their entire lives and their work was done in the temple. So this may have been what happened with Jephthah's daughter. Because what happened, she asked for two months to be able to go out into the mountains with her friends and bewail her virginity. And then she came back and whatever happened, happened. And to this day, the Jewish people have young girls go out for two days to bewail their virginity in honor of this girl who did this. But it's all about virginity, not about death. You don't see her anywhere saying, oh my, I know I'm going to die, so before I die, I want to do it now. It's just she realizes that she's not going to have kids. There was also, in Leviticus chapter 27, a provision to remove a foolish vow. So Jephthah had an opportunity when he got home and went, Phew, I just made a foolish vow, I'm going to kill my kid. And he could have gone to the priest and went, oh, no, that, let's look at the, chapter 27. It says right here, I, I, there's a provision. I don't have to do this. And he could have got out of it, but he didn't. So I'll leave it up to you. Because what we want to talk about today really doesn't matter what he did with his daughter. Because what I want to look at is Jephthah's life and how his life 
can compare to our life so that we too can be in Hebrews chapter 11. Guys, I wanted to get that out of the way so we can forget about Jephthah's daughter because it doesn't really matter a hill of beans whether he killed her or not. Not for where I want to go. Thank you for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We'll continue with the second part of the message right after this. Hello, my name is Norberto Colon Jr. and I'm a ministry leader for the worship ministry at Commitment Church, a place for all nations. I would like to personally invite you to come to one of our events this month. For the latest events, you can visit commitmentchurch.org events. And if you and your family are looking for a church, we're here on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Thank you again for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We now return for the second half of our message. What makes Jeph- Jephthah like us? And the first thing I'll say to you is that he came from a broken family. It says in Judges chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, how his mother was a prostitute. And then his dad eventually got married and had kids. But he came from a broken family. And coming from a broken family, he was ostracized by his own family. One of the things that for quite a while as I've been in churches, uh, we, we kind of moan about the breakdown of the American family. As a teacher of children, I can tell you that I have seen majority of kids who come to church every other Sunday because this week they're with mom and next week they're with dad because they come from that kind of a family. And it's common anymore for kids to come from a broken family and I could be talking to a very large audience of people who come from a broken family. I was blessed not to. My mom and dad stayed together forever. They were Christians, got me to church, made me memorize scripture and all the rest of that kind of stuff. So I didn't have that, so I'm no good to help you out here because I was blessed. But there are a lot of people today that are in that situation. The second thing he did that we do is he trusts God for the victory. He would not have taken this job to become the general to begin with if he didn't think he could win. So we trusted God that he was going to win. We do the same thing. When you get sick, what do you do? Besides go to the doctor, you pray to God and ask him for healing. Do you believe he's going to heal you? Sure you do. If you don't believe it, why bother asking, right? So yeah, I believe he's going to heal me. You're, you're in a financial jam. You ask God to help you out of that financial jam. Why? Because you trust and believe that eventually he'll help you out. So we have that kind of faith. We trust God for victories in our lives. And the other thing he does is he makes useless vows. Do we? I remember as a young believer telling God, if you get me out of this jam, I'll go to church every Sunday. And I did for a month. <laughs> Oops. Useless vows to God. So, what do we do? How do we start living like this hero? And the first thing is to understand, realize that irregardless of your past, God's going to use you. You have a purpose. 
Everything that you go through in life is purposeful and God superintends because he wants to use you in a way that other people can't be used. Broken families. Like I said, I'm useless. I don't come from a broken family. But there are many people here that do. And you, because you are uniquely qualified to help others that are struggling in the same situation. Because you came from that same situation. And you understand it, and God brought you through it. Alcoholism. Many people have recovered from alcoholism from one way and one way only. By the love and the blood of Jesus Christ, they are healed. And they know it. And they can help other people that are struggling with the same thing because they've been there. The pain and suffering that you've had in your life is useful to God if you will allow him to use you to minister to others. But if we sit quietly in our little corner and act all holy, what good are we? If we don't use our testimony to reach others for Christ, you'll never know how you can use the brokenness that you come from. You went through a struggle because God wants to use you. And there ain't a person in this room that hasn't been through a struggle. And God wants to use you. But you've got to let him. And you're going to have to figure out how to do that. Because every one of you, just like Jephthah, has been called by God for a purpose. And you need to figure out what it is. Because there's somebody out there that needs you because they need to hear about Jesus. And you may be the only one uniquely qualified to tell them. Secondly, don't make promises to God. Don't make a vow. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Again you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond that is evil. In other words, if you're in a jam like I was in my early life. I didn't have to make a promise to God to go to church. I just needed to go to church. Just go. Just do it. Just be who you say you are. I don't have to promise God that I'm going to read the Bible every day. I just need to do it. That's all. You don't have to make these vows to God in order to fulfill something. Just do it. But I'm here to tell you, there is one place where I have failed, where many of us have failed, because we make a vow before God that we break, and that's in our marriage. And many of us have broken that vow to God. Thankfully, I woke up, and the last vow I made before God I kept. And boy, did I find some sweet success. 
for 40 years. Don't make a vow to God that you're not going to keep. And lastly, let's keep an eternal viewpoint of life. What do I mean by that? If we look at life as life, and this is it, we are going to be, oh, the most miserable. Because life stinks. It is what it is, folks. Because there's a sin nature in every one of us, sin abounds. And I know sometime today I'll be one. Because I have the sin nature that's within me as well. And somebody's going to cut me off and I'm going to have something to say about it. But if we look at life from an eternal viewpoint, then we realize that what's going on in this world today is really not that big a deal. It's more important as to how I look at it and how I deal with it in God's world. I don't care who becomes president. Because I'm a citizen of heaven. The king's heart is in God's hand. So when we look at this life from heaven's viewpoint, we know that we're temporary here. James says we're a vapor that passes away. Solomon called it all vanity. Read Ecclesiastes. Only the things that matter are the things that are done for God. And none of the rest of this matters. So why are we getting ourselves all wrapped up? I said in the first service, I always find this funny. I have never, in my 60-some years of being in church, ever heard a testimony about tithing when someone said, you know, I started tithing a month ago, and I lost my car, I lost my house, and my wife left me. Never. But I have heard thousands of testimonies that said I started tithing, and God blessed me beyond belief. Miracles happened because I obeyed God. That's it. And it's the same with every other aspect of your life. You struggling at work? Start testifying to Jesus Christ at work. Let people know who you are. You struggling in your marriage? Give it to God. Men, be the spiritual leader God's called you to be. Be the one that's doing your devotions every day. Be the one that's being in church when the doors are open. And watch your family follow. Because that's what God's called us to be. But we have to take a look at this life in view of what comes afterwards. Because this life is very short and eternity is really, really long. And it's really, really good. My knees won't hurt anymore. 
Look, I, that church clap killed me, man. I, it's just, it, it, it's just going to be a really cool place. So why are we getting ourselves all wrapped up here? Really, seriously, you got to stop and think about just how wonderful heaven is. And when we start thinking about how wonderful heaven is, we'll be more apt to tell other people how wonderful heaven is. And there's only one way. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus says. And we know it. If you guys have lived through difficult circumstances and you've left your life for God and you say, God, help me, and God's helped you, you got a testimony. Right? And from eternity's viewpoint, you can give that testimony to others because they're going to watch you when you're going through that tough time to see how you act. And if you're looking at earth, you're going to act, oh, the most miserable. But if you're looking at heaven, you're going to go through the tough time with a smile on your face. And they're going to look at you and say, what in the world is wrong with you? And you can just say, Jesus. And watch it go. You know, we're all going to stand before Jesus one day. Those of us who are believers, we get to go to the judgment seat of Christ. And at that judgment seat, I believe, and the Bible's pretty clear, it'll be the last time we'll be ashamed. Because what he reveals to us at the judgment seat of Christ is all the opportunities that we had to witness for him. And he will show us when we did, and we receive crowns for those good things. But I also believe that in that movie that he's going to show us, he's going to show us where we didn't. I want to hear a well done, thou good and faithful servant. But there's a reason why in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, I forget where it is now, where the judgment seat of Christ is, and they talk about it in the last verse, says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because I believe, I don't know about you, but to stand before a holy God, I'm going to be terrified. Because I know that there are times when I could have spoken to someone about Christ and I didn't. I know there are times when I could have prayed for somebody and I didn't. I've mentioned this before. One of the most exciting times that I ever had in my life in my Christian walk, is I'm standing in ShopRite amongst the vegetables, which is not my favorite place to be. <laughs> and Larry Lewis walks up to me, and we begin a conversation about the fact that the time I'm struggling with cancer. And Larry says, oh, let's pray. And in the middle of the vegetables, he starts praying out loud in ShopRite. And I'm like, <laughs> I hope nobody's looking. <laughs> and then I realize, what the heck's wrong with me? When somebody walks up to me and says, can you pray for me? The time isn't to wait till I get home. It's now. Right in the middle of the vegetables. That's living with eternity in view. Because that's all that counts. And all the stuff stays here and burns up. And we don't. 
I would like to suggest that if you're struggling with whether or not Jephthah killed his kid, that part of his faith, and maybe what put him in this chapter 11, is the fact that he knew that if he took his daughter's life, she was going to be in heaven. And he knew that. Because that's how big his faith was. And he knew, yeah, okay, she's only a young kid, and she's a virgin, and she's now in heaven. Well, it's a heck of a lot better than being here. And she wins. She got there first. So that's why I say it doesn't matter whether he killed her or not. What matters is where's your faith? Second Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, which says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you believe that's going to happen? Do you believe you're going to be caught up? What are we worried about? <laughs> this could happen tomorrow. I had a conversation with a fella this morning when he was leaving, uh, and he started talking about the, the red heifer, and it has to, something to do with the, the end times, and this red heifer that's going to be sacrificed on the altar or something, and it's supposed to be three and a half years. I don't know. Jesus told me in Matthew he didn't know. So I don't know either. But it could be today. Wouldn't that be cool? Why are we living any other way, guys? Comfort each other. We're going to get snatched up. And we're going to be like Jesus. My mom used to sing a song. I always remember this we were in church and it goes like this it says I know who holds the future and I know he holds my hand with God things don't just happen everything by him is planned so as I face tomorrow with his problems large and small I'll trust the God of miracles and give to him my all August 15th 1988 I got myself on my knees at a drug and alcohol rehab in Lafayette New Jersey and I surrendered everything to God because I'd screwed it up so bad that I had no idea what I was doing. And he took it. And it's been the greatest moment of my life. Because as I grow in Christ and as I become more like him, I find so much more joy. And you could ask anybody around here, I'm the goofiest guy in town. But I'm goofy because I have joy. Because no matter what happens to me, I'll see you there. Thank you again for listening to our series, 
from Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.